Hey, everyone. This is Aliza. This is Stars Like Us. I am at a loss for words because I have been so excited to record this episode for years. Years. This is years in the making. It is. I am with the one, the only, magical, mystical, unbelievable Annabelle Gatt, one of my closest friends, one of my oldest teachers, the daily and monthly horoscope writer at Vice, the author of The Astrology of Love and Sex. You know her. You love her. Maybe not as much as I do, though, because I really, really love Annabelle. So, (laughs) Annabelle, we're doing it! Yay, hello! (laughs) Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm just, I'm so fucking excited to talk to you. Actually, last night, as I was getting ready for bed, I was like, you know, like looking at my calendar, like thinking, okay, what do I have to do tomorrow? It's Friday. Like, how how do I structure my day? And I was like, I'm going to see Annabelle. I'm going to get to talk to her and catch up with her. And it literally like soothed me through my evening routine to know that like there's going to be something really bright to look forward to in the morning. Oh, thank you so much. This is definitely one of the funner things I'm doing this week. This has been a hard long week. It has. It certainly has. It's, I, I have really in 2021, I have Well, I did a lot of really big changes to my calendar and to my schedule and to the way that I'm trying to process moving through a week. And along that is trying to feel more like I have, you know, my schedule isn't bossing me around and that it's giving a lot of fluidity and flexibility. And in this uh, early days of 2021, I'm really grateful for it because after Wednesday of this week, I was like, well, my workflow is really just going to decrease dramatically because I just can't. I can't generate it. I can't get it going. Yeah, you got you got to be the boss of your schedule. Yes, exactly. I just launched a Patreon, not to advertise myself so soon into this episode, <laughs> but it's not gauche. It's important. And um, in the first episode, I was talking about how you know right now we're we're recording this during Capricorn season. Capricorn is ruled by Saturn, and Capricorn season finds the sun in its closing square to the year because the year starts with Aries season. So Capricorn, Aries, it's a square. This is the closing square. It's ruled by Saturn. So a lot of stuff that has to do with time and scheduling and organizing ourselves is really coming up. We're having a crisis about time, just, you know, on a small level, like how am I going to get all my work done today? But also on a larger level, like wow, time just keeps on going and we're running out of it, you know? Very existential questions come up, but also very mundane questions like our schedule. So this is such an important time of year to make sure that you are the boss of your schedule and that it's not the boss of you. So um, I love that. I love that your your schedule is working for you right yes, now. Yes, I got one of those giant big calendars. I'll show it to you. Yes, Our me. listeners won't be able to um, see it, but I can describe it. It is a, it looks interesting when you start. It looks like it's a book. It says large monthly planner on it in all black block lettering. And then inside are giant blank calendar pages that I have color coded. I love it. (laughs) Based on the type of work I would like to be doing on each day of the week. I love that. Should I show you mine? Yes, please. But you'll have to describe it. So my planner, as you can see, uh, half the page is the days of the week. Oh, yes. And then the other half of the page is a to-do list. 
Love it. And I love having a big, like, just a big page for a to-do list. Nothing makes me happier than writing things on a to-do list and then crossing it off. Crossing off something from a to-do list is the best feeling in the whole world. Yes, I completely agree. Do you think we love this so much because we have Capricorn rising? Yes, that was going to be my next question. (laughs) (laughs) So we are both Capricorn rising. We are both Capricorn rising, but our our Saturns are in different signs. That's true. So we have a little bit of a a different approach possibly to organizing our time and our schedule. Do you have Saturn in the 11th house? Yes. In Sag? Yes. So how how does Saturn in the 11th house feel to you? (sighs) You know, um, sometimes I think I know and other times I think I don't know. Ooh, so 11th. (laughs) It It is very 11th. I think, you know, I've run a lot of community things. Like, for example, I had Hypatia group on Facebook for a long time, which was for astrologers and women and non-binary people to share information about astrology, everything from talking about the transits that are taking place to literally asking like business questions like, how much do you charge for webinars? Or like, what do you do if um, an editor reaches out to you? So I run all of these throughout my life, kind of like different clubs, right? And that's sort of what the 11th house is. It's like the, the house of clubs. So I've run lots of, I ran lots of different clubs. Um, I love being a teacher. And to me, being a teacher is also sort of like being a community organizer. And I think another way that Saturn in the 11th manifests itself is that I've just had to learn how to set great boundaries with friends. And I think fortunately, I learned that lesson pretty early on. I have really good, I have a lot of friends and I have lots of great friends. I have lots of acquaintances. I have lots of people and I feel like I manage a lot of them really well. So I don't, when I think about Saturn and I think about like hardship and blocks and obstacles, uh, themes relating to the 11th house never really strike me or cross my mind. But then once in a while, something will happen and I'll be like, whoa, that is definitely Saturn in the 11th. Yeah. Well, I feel like with the technology feels very like the block of the 11th house for you. Like I know, for instance, we've spent many years talking about how do we, and even, I mean, pre-pre-COVID, like how do you take the work that you do in person and then translate it into a different like digital platform? I think that that's a really smart observation because I don't think I've ever really tied the two together. I have such a block around technology. When I was younger, I could whip up a MySpace that looked really cute with like lots of different fonts and codes. And, you know, like I was, I was pretty good at that as a younger person, but the older I get, the worse I get at, at technology and not just the worse that I get at technology, but that I just simply don't like it. Um, I, love teaching classes, but I've all prior to lockdown, I was like, I'm probably never going to teach a class online. Maybe one day I will. Like I kind of was always open-minded about it, but I was like, I love meeting my students in person, being able to look them in the eye, being able to teach them something and know that they really understand it and really know that we all know each other. Um, and I just, didn't really know if I could transfer that like uh, intimacy and care and like real learning experience to an online world. Um, But during lockdown, I've been sort of, I don't want to say pushed to try, but I became kind of excited to try because I just really missed teaching. And I was like, well, 
if I'm going to teach, I'm going to have to find a way to make this work and I should give it a shot. And if I don't like it, I don't like it. But I gave it a shot and I was like, you know what? This really works. This was um, the first time I really gave it a try was with my webinar with Ask a Sub, who is an Instagram, uh, really great Instagram account resource for kink and sexuality. And we did a webinar together and I was like, this is awesome. Like all of the preconceived notions I had about not being able to connect just because there was an eye contact. Like that's not true. I still feel like I'm connecting, even though there's uh, not the literal face-to-face aspect, I still feel like I'm really present with everyone. And then I had a course after that and I was like, this is going beautifully. I love it. I was like, I, I mean, I can't believe I waited this long to do it. It, you know, isn't the same as meeting students face-to-face for sure. But what I'm learning is that the students who have questions, they're going to email me. I don't have to worry that like, you know, they're afraid to reach out and I can always just remind people, please don't worry about reaching out. Please do reach out to me, ask me questions, like let's engage. So people have been doing that. And then all of my worries about like, you know, whether or not in-person classes would translate to online pretty much have vanished. And now I absolutely love it. I can't wait to teach in-person classes again, but moving forward, I'm going to do both. I'm definitely going to keep doing online because it's so great to be able to connect with people who aren't here in New York City. But I'm also looking forward to being able to have in-person things again soon and be able to meet these people in person. So I'm just really happy with it. I do have to tell all of our listeners, though, what it was like back in the day to take a class with Annabelle in person. Um, Before we started recording, a few days ago, um, Annabelle was sharing some of the early graphics and flyers that she had from workshops in 2017 and 2016. And I I pulled up the first one that I had taken with Annabelle from 2015, I think it was, right? Yeah. And yeah. it was, I mean, what we were just talking about is the the world that Annabelle creates, whether you are, and I know this because I did the email correspondence cl- class first, um, whether you are digital, on email, online, on Zoom, in person, Annabelle creates a magical world. It is it is a truly otherworldly, surreal, completely full in immersive experience. That is the experience that we you have and that you offer teaching. Um, Thank so you. when I I remember like getting those emails from you, I felt like I was getting like Harry Potter codes, you know, like it was like if my phone like signals that I was getting an email and I looked and it was Annabelle, it was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. What is it going to like? What is it going to contain? It's going to have like all of these like esoteric, magical portal things inside the email. The email becomes a portal. And then, of course, when I moved back to New York and then I started taking classes with you in person. Oh, my God. Talk about portal. I mean, talk about pizza portal, like but not a a, a conspiracy theory pizza portal. (laughs) No. <laughs> literally pizza. And when I teach a class, I only have two rules for teaching a class. The first rule is that everyone at any time can take a break whenever they want to. And I always make it really clear to every student, if you are bored, if you are anxious, if you want to check your phone, if you just want to leave, whatever it is, 
you are free to get up and stretch and go to the restroom. Um, I had my classes in my old apartment, which had, you know, I had the main teaching room, but then I also had like the kitchen, which was a separate area that people could go to to basically unwind and check their phone and um, get a minute to themselves. So one thing I always made really clear is that, you know, you're you're going to be sitting with me here for two hours. That's a long time. So if you need to get up and stretch and need a moment to yourself, um, you can do that. And part of the reason why I set that rule is because I dropped out of college and didn't do very well in high school because I had really bad anxiety and could not sit in classes. And even for me now, sometimes when I think about whether or not I want to sign up for something, I'm like, do I want to go commit to, for example, a yoga class where I'm going to be stuck in a room for one hour and I can't leave? (laughs) So that's rule number one with my classes whenever they're in person. People can, they know that they can get up and stretch and go to another room, go to the bathroom, do whatever they want to do and they won't be disturbed. The second rule is that there has to be food. Because if you're going to talk to people for two hours and they don't have anything to snack on, any like, you know, delicious thing, like you get hungry when you're learning. And there's what is better than a pizza party astrology class? Nothing. There's nothing so better. There I, can, always, I can truly say there is nothing better. There was always pizza at my classes. Maybe once in a blue moon, I might not have had pizza. Maybe I ordered, you know, tacos or maybe something else. But in general, I always ordered pizza. The only thing that I can remember other than pizza is literally cake. Oh, yeah. And then we had delicious Alice in Wonderland style whimsical cakes. For those of you guys who are listening, I don't know how to explain this. I only have so many words. Annabelle is a magical goddess from another world. And anytime you're with her, you're talking to her, you're engaging with her, you are literally transported into this like extraordinary headspace. At least this is what it feels like. I I guess I can't speak for anyone else but myself, but I know a lot of other people share this opinion. But for me, it really does. You are so warm. You are so inviting. You are so knowledgeable and wise, but you are also so welcoming. And you really make your students and you empower them to feel like this world is available and is open and is abundant and there's plenty of room to explore and to play. And it's, I'm just so grateful that you are here, like on this, in this time and and that we can share this time in this life together because it would be, I mean, you changed my life legit. So I don't even know how to, the debt of gratitude is like, I I, I feel like I'm going to start crying. (laughs) Oh, well, you know, I, before I found astrology, felt really purposeless. And when I found astrology, I started not exactly to feel like I had a purpose, but I felt like at least I was on some kind of right track. At least I found something that really inspired me and that made me happy and that I was good at. You know, it's hard, it's hard to find something that you love and that you feel like you're good at and that brings you, or at least for me, it was very hard to find something like that. So when I did, I felt like I was sort of on the right track to having a purpose. But once I began teaching astrology and leading astrology circles and feeling like I was helping other people learn astrology, that was really when I began to feel like my life had a purpose. And I'm so thankful for everyone who studied with me. It's really the part of my life that has meaning. I mean, there's plenty of other meaningful things in my life, loving my family, loving my friends, just all of that's really important. But being able to just help people and teach astrology, that is 
that gets me out of bed every single day and it makes me so happy. And that's just thinking about the memories that I have with my students. There's nothing more, there's really nothing more precious to me at all. How did you find, and I know that you have always been intrigued by esoteric things, by astrology, but for our listeners, share with us how you how you found astrology. And also, I'm kind of curious because there wasn't an Annabelle. Like, you are the only Annabelle. Obviously, you had Anne, an amazing teacher. There were people who sort of helped you come into the space and to, you know, integrate you with this material. But there, since there's no other Annabelle, I also happen to know that there are, especially before you came along, there were a lot of like horrible gatekeepers who were not very welcoming and warm and kind in the astrology, tarot, spirituality, witchcraft world. So how did you traverse that period and find the people who were kind and open and willing to take you under your under their wings? So, well, I'll, I'll backtrack to the beginning. I first got into astrology as a really young person, like I think many of us do, like when you're around 10, 11, and you're like learning who you are. Um, I remember being a little kid and like reading, not a little kid, but I remember being like a preteen and reading like magazines for teenagers that had quizzes in them. Like, what's your fashion style? Or like, what subculture do you belong to? Um, I love taking those quizzes. And a lot of times in those magazines, they would have really big sections on astrology. Um, everyone thinks that astrology is this new fad, but in the, in the 90s, I had magazines that were filled to the brim with like predictions for 1999. You know what I mean? I got really into it at that age because I was just so fascinated with learning about myself. And I was really interested in like psychology and mythology. And this sort of felt like an intersection of that. So I just fell in love with astrology. But then as I got a little bit older and I started learning more about the world and politics and like especially feminism and, you know, Roe versus Wade and learning more about spirituality, I kind of reached this weird point in my life where I was like, you know, I really believe in science and I believe in medicine and I believe in like a woman's right to choose. And I am not going to, I don't, you know, lean into any path which might kind of uh, be unscientific. So that included basically getting rid of astrology because astrology is not scientific. And I just was like, I don't want anything to do with that. I only care about like the facts and I, that's what my my worldview is. Um, and then I, you know, as I got a little bit older throughout high school, I kind of started moving out of that. And I was like, you know, I'm so, like sort of remembering when I was younger and I was really into astrology and I really wanted to return to it. But I had this boyfriend in high school who was like, no, astrology is like the dumbest thing in the world. <laughs> And I was like, okay. I, I think that we should also add that um, Annabelle and I were in sort of, we both are from New York City and we are in the same teen counterculture movement, aka we are both little punk kids. <laughs> and that's actually how we reconnected in adult life. Yeah. So earlier when you were saying that we met at uh, Alice's Teacup, that's something I want to say is like we met as, at, as adults as Alice's Teacup, but we have surely cross paths hundreds of times as teenagers. And I have, the thing is, I'm three years older than you. So like when you're three years older than a bunch of kids and you see them at a show, you're like, that's really cute. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Guys go home. You know what I mean? Like I, I wasn't, I wasn't really <laughs> trying to chill with you all, but it, <laughs> I still, <laughs> I still knew you. And um, 
those kids from that scene are, you know, now three years is nothing. So it's like, these are still some of my like best and closest friends. But yeah, so I had this boyfriend who was like, astrology's dumb. And it's, you know, at that same age, I was 17 years old and I was hanging out downtown, CBGBs, uh, knitting factory, going to shows all the time. You know, I was helping to like promote and book shows. And uh, that was the scene I was in was the punk rock scene, which is the same scene that you were in, but you were a little bit younger. You were just <laughs> spreading your wings and flying downtown. <laughs> Straight to the steps of search and destroy. Exactly. And um, around that age, you know, I was sort of starting to get into astrology again, but I just didn't really have the social support to do it. Saturn in the 11th house. And my friends <laughs> were saying no. Um, then like a year goes by or so and I'm out of high school, you know, that boyfriend and I, you know, we're still friends, but we've broken up. I don't really care anymore what he thinks is cool or not cool. And my friend is like, let's go to a ghost hunting meetup. And I was like, yes, let's do it. Let's go to a ghost hunting meetup. And we went as like a joke kind of. But when I was sitting there, I was like, this is not a joke. I'm seriously sitting here. Like, I'm not, I did not come here to make fun of it. I did not come here. This is like before we had smartphones, back when people used to entertain themselves by going to places and not just scrolling on Instagram or watching something. But like back then in like the mid-2000s, you like, I'm bored. I'm going to go to a ghost hunting meetup because that just sounds weird. It's like we went and I was like, this is fun. I like this. And I was like, what else is out there? So then I found like other astrology meetups and other astrology circles. And I just got really into the Barnes and Noble astrology scene. So in New York City in the mid 2000s, you could go to any Barnes and Noble, go to the occult section, go to the astrology section, and there would be like a bunch of us just standing there, you know, like salivating over whatever astrology book was there, just reading it. And I became friends with like all of the regulars at the Barnes and Noble occult section. Oh my God, section. I love that. Which Barnes and Noble? So, <laughs> so the heaviest one was probably the um, uh, St. Mark's location that is a uh, yeah, the St. Mark's location, which doesn't exist anymore. So one of the first times I went there to, you know, peruse the astrology section, this guy stopped me and was like, you, you <gasps> don't want to look at those books. And I was like, why? And he was like, once ah! you start, you <laughs> he wasn't stop. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't wrong. He was dead serious. And he was going, I believe he was going to NYU for like, like studying statistics or finance or something. And he was like a finance bro who was like obsessed with astrology. He was a finance bro with a problem. He was so serious that I was like, okay. I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna turn around because now I just feel weird. And I came back a few minutes later, but like it was, that was what the scene was like Damn. back then. It was really intense. But my typical hangout spot was usually 14th Street Union Square. That was like the classic where all the, you know, cool downtown people hung out in the occult section. So that was, you know, I was on the Barnes & Noble circuit for a minute. <laughs> then um, eventually I found Ann Ortley and Mark Walls's astro weekly access astrology meetup at East West Bookstore, also on 14th Street. And I think that was in 2007 or 8. I always, I can't, I can never remember because those years just like blend together for me. But I think I I was I was definitely 21 years old and I had been studying astro I've been studying astrology at Barnes Noble for two years. So I, you know, I had like, you know, you could see the equivalent of like an associate's degree from Barnes Noble in astrology. I'm just joking. Checks out for me. It's like you need to find the next level. Exactly. So I had been, you know, knee deep in Linda Goodman and I was ready to up my game. 
Um, and I found the astrology circle. And at that point in my astrology career, I had some really weird ideas. I was like, we should just get rid of houses because there are too many house systems. And if we can't even pick one, it means that it doesn't even work. You know, like I just was at a really like funky place, but I went there and I learned so much in such a short period of time. And it was great because I had learned so much from books, but I'm the sort of person who really needs like people to teach me things. I'm a great book learner, but I really need to have conversations with people to learn. Similarly, with my teaching style, I need to be able to have conversations with people to teach. And at East West Bookstore, you know, I just, Anne and Mark are just the greatest. I learned so much from them. And every single Tuesday, that was what I had to do. I scheduled everything around that. Um, I remember I got a job at some clothing store and I was like, you guys need, I was like, I either can't work on Tuesdays or I have to be out of here by like 5.30 on the dot on Tuesdays. So I just fell in love with it. I learned so much there. And it was there that I really saw like, wow, people can do astrology for a living. Like, why am I bothering with absolutely anything else? Like, this is the only thing I love. Only thing I'm good at, like, I need to become an astrologer. So that was, you know, in the mid 2000s. And then over the next two or three years in 2009, I officially opened my business. So 2009, that was after about like four years of like study. And then um, I started, I think I taught my first class at Cake Shop downtown. Do you remember Cake Shop? Oh, cool. Yeah, of so course. I taught my like first class there. I'm not even sure if Cake Shop knew I was doing that. I think I just put it, put up, made a fly and was like, I'm teaching a class at Cake Shop, whether or not Cake Shop likes it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be there and you, you all can show up and I'll be there with a bunch of, you know, tables like, you know, put together in the back where they used to have the the record store. Um, so, and then I started teaching at the Edgar Casey Center and then eventually I just started doing it on my own. And I was really lucky to have a lot of amazing older astrologers who I learned from and who I taught with, but you know, astrology has really changed in the last 10 years with things like social media and with the ability to teach online and just with younger people becoming interested in astrology. So I didn't really ever have an Annabelle who was like, here, let me show you how to interact with editors at websites or any of that kind of thing. Like I really taught, I really learned like the hard way. And because I learned the hard way about how to, you know, create a pitch and how to do Instagram and all that sort of thing, um, I feel like that was good for me to learn all of that. But when you learn something the hard way that way, you become so passionate about helping and teaching other people and making it easier for them to do all these things. So that was why I started Hypatia Group, because I was like, you know, now that I know a little bit about dealing with a contract for a website. Like I want to make sure other astrologers know how to do this. That was why I started that group, which, you know, doesn't really, it doesn't exist anymore, but maybe something like that will be created again because it's just so useful for people to have. And I think in terms of gatekeeping, there's always going to be gatekeeping. Um, as soon as you have any kind of clout, you become a gatekeeper to a certain extent. And all you have to try to do is, you know, stay humble and stay open to to hearing what people have to say, have to say, and just opening yourself up to new ideas and new things all the time, and just doing the best you can to share resources with other people, and that's something I've always consistently tried to do. Because the more I share resources, I know that it inspires other people to do the same, and to not look at astrology as this like game where only you know, where we can't share resources because there's so few of them. I remember when I first started writing horoscopes, it was this really competitive thing of like you know, who's writing horoscopes where and stuff like that. But the thing you really need to realize is that just like with music, I don't listen to just one band. 
I don't listen to just one song. I listen to like literally hundreds of different artists. And it's the same thing with astrology. People read tons of different horoscopes. We don't need to act like there's this like limited supply of how many horoscopes people should be able to read. There doesn't need to be just one astrologer writing horoscopes somewhere. There should be as many as possible because we all have different ideas. We all have different styles. And the more each of us is proud to share and to expand the reach that every astrologer has and and how accessible astrology is to people, the more we balance out any kind of gatekeeping that could ever try to take place. What I have found to be very interesting and something I guess I have been, for some reason it's come up a lot recently for me, is um, the question of like, oh, how did you get into it? And like, what's your story? And now I'm finding myself really emphasizing the fact that like, I really did not intend to become an astrologer. Like I resisted it really Mm -hmm. until the bitter end. Like, and I remember actually being with you Mm -hmm. 2017, I think, and you, I was at one of your classes and then afterwards um, you were pulling some cards for me and you were like, oh, I think you're going to be starting a business suit. And I was like, no, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. Because when I was growing up and until astrology you know, and how it's really transformed over the past several years. Like I was really scared of the stigma associated with it. And I, it took me many years to get over feeling like I wasn't going to be respected. I wasn't going to be taken seriously. I mean, Capricorn rising stuff, sure. But now that astrology has become so embedded in social media, people are starting to want to become an astrologer before they're even passionate about astrology. And that's the mind fuck for me is like to want to have that as sort of like what your tag is online before you've even actually found your deep soul connection to the material itself. How can we reconcile that? And then also like, are there any clues for sort of being able to know when is the right time to take it more seriously? Or what would you say a good way of approaching it is for for listeners who want to pursue this as a career? I think the second you find yourself Googling everything about astrology late into the night, it's 4 a.m., you look at your clock and you're like, oh my God, I'm still awake researching this freaking aspect. I think as, as soon as you get there, whether you have been interested in astrology for a day, a week, a year, whatever it is, once you're at that point, I think it's totally fair to call yourself a student astrologer. I think, you know, that is 100%. You're a student astrologer. I think even as a student astrologer, it's totally fine to look at people's charts as long as you explain, I am a student astrologer and probably not charge for anything until um, a, a later point in your uh, in your practice. So I think it's really important for people to find mentors, to find teachers to work with. There's plenty of them out there. It's not hard to find a teacher. You know, you teach astrology. I teach astrology. There's so many. Connect with a teacher and then ask your teacher, do you think that I am ready to start, you know, doing sessions? And you know what? People at home who are listening, if you have a teacher and you ask them that and they say no and you still want to do it, you also get to make your own rules for yourself. You don't have to listen to everything one person tells you, and you're allowed to have multiple teachers and get multiple opinions. Um, You know, so you really have to trust your own instinct. I think as soon as you're researching a bunch, call yourself a student astrologer. And I think that you really earn the title of dropping student astrologer. It's a community thing because... We, I think, in this world are very individualistic and kind of put everything, so much of the responsibilities on ourselves, but 
you know, astrology is it's a community. And you are an astrologer once the people you have been giving readings to for practice regard you as one, once your teachers regard you as one, and once your peers regard you as one. And if you are wondering to yourself, wow, I don't know if I can decide I'm, I'm an astrologer yet, you might be on the right track because maybe it's just not, it's not only about you. It's also about the community that you're in. Do they regard you as an astrologer? Now, if you're like, no, I'm pretty freaking sure I'm an astrologer and I'm going to drop the student astrologer part, you can go ahead and do that. Um, but you are either going to do really well or you won't. And the, the proof will be in the pudding. You know what I mean? The proof is in the pudding. There's, it's just, this is an unregulated, you know, this is an art. It's like, it's people are going to say what they want to say. I don't worry about it. I want everyone to be passionate about astrology. So I'm totally cool with people thinking of regarding themselves as an astrologer, as long as they're being responsible and not charging people for things that they are not qualified to help them with. That's really, it's for me, that's the big deal is are you charging people money for something that you can't do? That is for me a really big deal. Otherwise, you know, we're all astrologers and witches. Yes. What I have found to be sort of a good comparison is being an artist. You know, when do you identify yourself as an artist? Mm -hmm. Now in, in our 30s, it feels like everyone's an artist. Like if you're not calling yourself an artist, like what are you even doing? Yeah. <laughs> but there was a time, like especially in your early 20s when it's like, oh, am I, do am I an artist? Like, can I claim that? And there is a bit of like, you know, there's a bit of the peer aspect to things. There's sort of positioning, you're seeing what other people your age in your sort of group are doing and how they regard being an artist because there aren't any like hard and fast definitions for it other than like somebody who makes art if you're making interpretations of astrology you could be an astrologer or you could be a student astrologer i think that i was resistant to call yeah. myself an astrologer even when i started writing horoscopes for allure at first i think i was insistent on saying student of the stars as a alternative to saying mm -hmm. astrologer because i was still like i just don't know if i'm ready yet and I don't know exactly when the mo the moment came. I think it was when I think it was when I ha decided to start doing this full time um, and take that risk. And I knew that I need if I was going to do it full time and take that risk, I needed to be confident in it. Um, but really, up until it was like the final last thing that I needed to do, I was because it does feel to me there's a lot of responsibility in that title. And maybe it's not that way anymore. Maybe people don't see it in that regard. But to be an astrologer, especially because it kind of comes down to your own integrity and your own really like self-reflection of like, are you ready to be an astrologer? Do you know what you're talking about? And obviously having you and then later Anne as my mentors and guides who are so fucking knowledgeable, I knew that there was a lot that I did not know, you know, and I could, I, I could very confidently talk about the things that I knew, but having so much else that I didn't know yet, or I was still learning, I felt like it, you know, it was many, many years before I was comfortable and confident assuming it. And honestly, I'm really glad that I took my time because when I finally Definitely. did say I'm ready to associate my name with the word astrologer, I felt I felt ready to. Yeah. So, you know, I'm an Aries. I do things really quickly. And when I 
I think I was I had just turned 19 when I started getting back into astrology again as an older person after I was really into astrology as a kid. Like when I was in fifth grade, I knew the symbols for every planet, every zodiac sign. I knew the basics. I, you know, I understood it. So I already had a pretty good foundation. Then when I started again, when I was 19 or so, um, I didn't consider myself an astrologer. I just considered someone who, I just considered myself someone who loves astrology. I never would have called myself an astrologer. And then, you know, a year or two goes by and I find this class at East West Bookstore after doing the whole, you know, <laughs> the Barnes and Noble, Noble thing for a while. <laughs> and I, <laughs> exactly. And I remember leaving that class feeling like I was just like flying. I was just walking on air and I was like, I'm an astrologer, you know, and I, nothing happened other than I was just around a bunch of other people who loved astrology and I just felt so empowered and excited and that my mind had just been blown open and I was like, I am an astrologer. Was I good at reading charts? No, but I left there just feeling like I am an astrologer. But here's the big difference. I didn't have Instagram, so I didn't have a bio to go right, to to write, right, I'm right. an astrologer on, you know what I mean? It was it was a private knowing. Um, and then, you know, I'm an Aries. I do things extremely quickly. So this was, you know, 2007, 2008, 2009, you know, a year, year and a half or so later, I'm already starting my own business. To me, that seemed like the blink of an eye. Uh, because I was in Aries and I was like, I know everything. I got this down. And to a certain extent, I was I was really good. I had already within that year, like near, I wouldn't say mastered horary, but was doing horary definitely really well. Was reading charts really well. Um, you know, certainly had many places to fill in the blanks regarding things like, um, you know, traditional astrology and learning more about the differences between modern and traditional and, and definitely learning a lot about like the math and learning about you know, really like the nooks and crannies of horary that are beyond just what you would read in a basic horary instruction manual. Uh, but I was pretty good and I was really confident. And I was like, yeah, I'm an astrologer. I'm ready to open my business. I'm ready to do it. And I I did. And I, I'm really glad I, I did it when I did because I really learned a lot from all of my clients. I continued learning. And that's the thing is you're always going to keep learning. You're never going to know enough. You're The more you learn, you're like, oh my God, there's so much more to learn. So I look back on that now in my mid-30s and thinking about what the social media landscape looks like now, you know, I thought that my little year and a half was so short. But now compared to how quickly things happen, a year and a half is like a million years in social media time today. Yeah, like totally. people discover astrology and then a month late a month later they have like a Twitter account selling readings. So it's very different. Like what I thought was such a short period of time back then, which which was like a year and a half, like is seems like an eon today. So um, I don't judge anyone for the choices that they make. You want to call yourself an astrologer? Great. Let me see you in a session. I'm going to, I'm going to judge you no matter what. You know what I mean? Like we're all going to, we're all in a community together. We're all seeing what the other person tweets. We're all seeing what the other person posts. We're all, you know, sharing ideas with each other. And you can call yourself an astrologer, but if other people don't regard what you're saying as being insightful, so what? Yeah. It doesn't matter. And going back to your point of not rushing yourself, um, I want to just let everyone know at home, if you're looking at my career, it didn't happen overnight. You know, it was like in 2004 or five that I got back into astrology and it, I was not great at it right away. I was pretty good at it. I was better at it than I was at most other things in my life. I was good enough where I was like, wow, I actually found something that I can do and that I'm interested in. But then it took me like another, you know, uh, three, two, three years for me to find Ann Ortley and Mark Walls. That was two or three years of like really trying to like learn from books. Then, you know, that was like in 2007, 2008. It was another year for me to start my business. So then that was 2009. And then 
I believe I started doing circles at the Edgar Casey. It was 2010 or 11. I don't remember right now. It was one of those two years. Then it was from then to 2000, early 2013. That was when I could finally quit my day job. So this entire time I was working full time, a completely different job. So this is, you know, 2004 or five ish to 2000 early, you know, uh, February 2013 was when I was able to quit my full time job. That is like six or seven years of learning and struggling literally to make ends meet, to have an astrology practice and to lead circles and to travel to go to conferences and to try to find clients all while also trying to pay my bills and stay afloat. And then even after that, it was another two years before I got a vice column and that was in 2015. And now here, if you see what's going on with me on social media today, this is, you know, uh, 16-ish years of hard work. And I mean, all I really have to show for it is like, I have my book, my column and my like, you know, like 32,000 followers on Instagram. It's not, it's not even like I'm like a huge, huge big deal. Well, you are, I, but so not, I, but I'm I mean, sorry, I'm I gotta just, interrupt you there. <laughs> but I just mean, I just mean in terms, I just mean in terms of surface level, really superstitious, not superstitious, really superficial things. Just in terms of really superficial things of like, what have you got published? What are you doing? How many followers do you have? Like that, that's all I've got. What I really have, the important stuff that I have is my students and my clients and those relationships I've built that, no one's ever going to know about because I don't post that on that doesn't exist in social media. It exists in real life. It exists in the classes that I teach. And that's like the real stuff. So I basically, this is a very long way to explain to everyone at home that the important things that you're seeing about people's careers, you're not going to see it because the important part of my career has nothing to do with what you're seeing on social media. It has to do with my actual relationships with the people I'm actually working with. And this was after all of these years, this is what I have to publicly show for it. So I don't want anyone at home being like, oh, I've been studying for like two years and like I only have so-and-so amount of followers and someone else has so many. It doesn't matter. It literally does not matter whatsoever. What matters is the way that you treat treat your clients and your students and the love that you're putting into work you do because you will eventually succeed. That's what's important. I feel like I'm just, I'm kind of going off on a tangent though. Am I making sense? No, you're making total sense. You're, and it's really impactful. And I think it's really okay, poignant well. um, because I do think that, you know, this is obviously not something that is exclusive to astrology and to the world that we have our careers in. This is, I think, across the board, every career, every person, every industry has become social media. It's become that. It is. And your talent has nothing to do with how many followers you have, period. And the other thing that I want to say to anyone who's like, who's thinking that their social media equals how talented they are as an astrologer. For me, when I choose who I'm working with, who I'm giving paid opportunities to, I do not give a flying <laughs> feather about your social media account. I would much rather work with someone who has 20 followers who's someone I've engaged with in a class or just someone who I know who I know what their their astrology work ethic is and the, that they care about astrology and that they have interesting things to say. And I, you know, it's not just me who thinks that way. There's many other people who do too. But I think that if you are not in the media world, it's easy to think that it's social media that matters. But trust me, like oh, there's many other editors and many other people who work in the world who also don't give a flan feather about social media either. I mean, social media is still an amazing tool, 
and use it as a tool, but it's not the only thing. Yes. It's a great way to broadcast what you what you think and like your work and to connect with people. So I'm not saying it's not important, but what I am saying is don't think that your follower count is important. What's important is your yes. content. And I would say that on top of that, I feel I'm really interested to see what happens this year with our Uranus squares. Um, I think that we're already seeing major changes. You know, the internet is having its Saturn return. And I think that we're going to see lots of changes as to like who's responsible for social media, who, you know, what is social media regulation? You know, what is a social media monopoly look like? What is good? You know, what is a fair practice? And of course, over the past several weeks only, we're starting to see Twitter and Instagram, Facebook properties like, you know, put blocks on things and put, you know, warnings on things and become really aggressive about the way that content is being shared for good and for bad. You know, there's a lot, there's two sides of it. And the bad is really bad and the good is really good. But I think that holistically what this might signal is that there's a change in the way we use social media, that we don't put all of our eggs in that basket. And we go back to sort of diversifying what it means to be alive, because right now all of it is just embedded in social media. And it's really stupid because it's just not being alive. And there's a lot of other dimensions. There really, really is. We're all in a lockdown right now. We're in a pandemic. So I don't really have, I have like, I have advice to give, but it doesn't apply right now because people can't go out and do things. But when they can, you and I will have to get back together for another show to talk about astrology in the real world. Yes. I would love that. And I think that that would be also um, a really good reminder for everyone of the fact that after at the end of the day, when this pandemic is over, it will be over eventually. And when social media is not social media today, because it will change eventually, that you're still going to be alive. I have no doubt that by the time Pluto is done with Aquarius, I don't think anyone's going to be on social media anymore. Or it's just going to look so different. It's going to be something we can't even imagine right now. I I really don't think that what we see today is going to be what it always will be. No, this is definitely a flash in the pan. Yeah. Also, you know, think about just like celebrities and celebrity culture. I remember only 12 years ago, we always somehow had a, had like a, a celebrity gossip magazine in the house <laughs> and it would always be like, how'd this even get in here? Who's buying this, you know? And these days, like no one ever thinks about that. Like we're sharing, we're sharing social media stuff. Like we're not thinking about celebrity culture in the same way at all. And like, who would have thought that that, that would ever change, you know? And it has. So, and I think that social media is going to have an even faster shift or turnaround than celebrity culture culture did. Yeah, I think it's really, I mean, as a good sort of business technique, I would really advise everybody to uh, make sure that they have email addresses for the people who they want to connect with. Because if you're building your entire business on social media and then one day it's, you know, the government or another agency or simply Instagram and Facebook is like, we have to shut this down to recalibrate, then you're not going to be able to operate your business. You know, I mean, I know plenty of people who've had their accounts just locked or shut down because they might have violated a rule or something like that. And then you lose all of your followers. I'm sure all of us are following someone who, who that's happened to. So it is so important to have a mailing list and to cultivate relationships with people outside of social media. And there's plenty of ways to do that because 
First of all, people are teaching classes. There are plenty of communities to be involved with. And, you know, astrology is a community. And you know you're an astrologer when you are amongst astrologers and they regard you as an astrologer. So if everyone's only living on social media and we're all living in our own little separate little you know, pods where we have our bio and that dictates who we are and that's what our branding is. It's so easy to get disconnected from the reality of the situation. I miss you. I miss being in person. Oh, I miss you too. I miss being in person too. And I hope that we'll be able to do it soon. Me too. So Annabelle, before we wrap up, can you share with us a little bit about your book and your upcoming book, and then also where we could find you on um, social media. Yeah, so my my book, which is already out, is The Astrology of Love and Sex. It's a modern compatibility guide from Chronicle Books. And it is just your, you know, it's just a sun sign compatibility book. But you can use it, I think, as a really great jump off point for just learning more about the zodiac signs themselves. So you can kind of extrapolate the information to help you with understanding astrology in general. General and um, you know, one of my first favorite astrology writers was Linda Goodman, and I think I have a very different writing style than she does, but I think I sort of carry the same spirit and passion for love and relationships that she definitely expressed in her books. But my books are just way more updated and not as you know old school and outdated and stuck in the last century as hers are. I mean, she's amazing, but, you know, it's super unfeminist and just some, some of the things you read it and you absolutely cringe. Uh, my book is not like that. I think my book is pretty good. And it's a uh, lots of kinky stuff in there, lots of shocking, scandalous stuff. I mean, it's really, it's it could make you blush. Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty good. My next book is not really one that's going to make people blush too much, but I think it's still going to be really interesting. It is a book about the moon. I'm not totally sure what the title is going to be yet, but it's it's going to be something moody. It's going to be something a little, you know, around, around something like that. So just you know, watch the space. Annabelle Gatt releasing a book about the moon in spring 2022, and it's going to be a book about all of the moon signs, and it's going to go sign by sign explaining how uh, each moon sign feels safe, feels comfortable, what they need in friendships, what they need in romantic relationships, even what they need in career. Because even though the moon is all about home and safety and personal space that still comes out in every aspect of our lives. So I kind of touch on it. There's even a little bit of compatibility in the book. Uh, So I'm super excited about that. I love writing. I love teaching and I love writing. I love being able to take any little nugget of wisdom I have and patch it up and give it to people and be like, here, here's a little nugget of something I know. So that's that's what I love. And then also I have my Patreon now. So patreon.com slash Annabelle Gatt. My Patreon is just going to be a home for my audio stuff. So it's going to be like a little podcast. So there's going to be 30 minutes of audio each week. And once I reach my goal, it's going to be an hour of audio each week. So I have that going on. And of course, you could read my daily and my monthly horoscopes at Vice. And you can follow me on Instagram at Annabelle Gatt and on Twitter at Annabelle Gatt underscore. Yay, Annabelle! Yay! Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. For me personally, it's so nice to fucking see you and connect with you. And for our listeners, I mean, I know that since Stars Like Us came out in 2019, Everybody has been like, when's Annabelle going to come on? When's Annabelle going to come on? And I've been like, well, I don't know. I'm really excited. <laughs> so this is like the episode. This is the ep- most yeah. important episode of Stars Like Us to me. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so grateful to be here. And I feel like I said a lot of things that I didn't even know I needed to say today. So thank you for giving me space to do that. I love you so I much. You thank you for taking the space. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I will talk to you soon. Bye.